Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Carol Page, an assisted language pathologist, who's also part of the assisted technology program. That is a program that assigns devices and applications to those who are nonverbal, not in just autism, but in other disabilities as well. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll catch you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Carol Page. Welcome to the show, Carol. Hi, Reed. Thank you so much for inviting me. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I am a program manager for the South Carolina Assistive Technology Program. Every state has their own assistive technology program. I'm also a speech-language pathologist and... Um, I work with a lot of people who are nonverbal, um, people of all ages and all disabilities. But we do so much more than that at the assistive technology program. All right. So what kind of things do you deal with when you're dealing with someone who is nonverbal? Yes. So um, it's quite a few things all at once. Um, Age um, makes a difference. Uh, Diagnosis makes a difference. Some of the people I work with have uh, progressive um, neurological disease. And so we have to plan differently than that for um, then compared to let's say most of the people I work with um, were were making plans for them to just get um, better and better and better with the systems over time. We also want to look at any physical disabilities because that is going to determine um, what access methods we need to look at. Um, Do we need a key guard or um, do we need to look at eye gaze or a head mouse or things like that? If you're not familiar with those terms, you definitely want to talk to somebody um, in assistive technology so they can help you out with that. All right. Um, How do you figure out where or what devices to use with what person? I mean, you talked about age. What kind of disabilities do you deal with with nonverbal? Yes. Um, I've worked with children who had strokes in utero. Um, So uh, we work with kids about around one year old, um, the whole way up through seniors uh, to end of life. Um, We... um, want to make sure uh, we look at uh, cognitive skills. Um, We look at a lot of different features. What we do is called feature matching. And so what we do is look at the needs of the individual first and then match those needs to the features that can be found with different communication devices. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, one like you know um 
The other piece we do with communication devices, and this dates back to 1984 with Ann Donnellan, who wrote um, about working with people with intellectual disabilities. And um, she is attributed with saying, assume competence, and we do. Um, so a lot of times we will get them set up to meet their needs today, but make sure the system has um, the capability to grow with that individual over time. Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of technologies do you use? Yes. Yeah, so everything from low tech communication boards, um, honestly, I just sent some of those out just a few minutes ago um, to someone who is trying to uh, get connected to start looking at devices for somebody. Um, and I was encouraging them not to wait um, to start getting the individual to, to start meeting their needs today, even though it might be a temporary system. But we definitely um, don't want another day to go by without somebody not being able to express themselves. All right. Um... You use AAC, AAC, correct? Yeah, so I use the term AAC. I do have my PhD in speech language pathology, but my focus is definitely um, called AAC, and that's Augmentative and Alternative Communication. It's an acronym, Augmentative and Alternative Communication. And that basically means any way of communicating other than speech. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, honestly, all of us use a little alternative communication when we write our emails or we write texts or we use gestures like waving hello or come over here. Um, so um, <clears throat> AAC is definitely multimodality. Um, people who are verbal use many ways of communicating. And so we want people who are nonverbal to communicate in many different ways as well. Now, how do you figure out who is right for AAC? Oh, wow. What a great question. In the nonverbal um, category. Yes. And I hear this all the time, like, who's a good candidate for AAC or these communication devices that help people be able to communicate um, better? And the answer to that is um, very simple. Um, there is a meme I always show, mm -hmm. and it has a question at the top that says, is the person breathing? Is the nonverbal person or the person with really low intelligibility, are they breathing? And if the answer is no, they are not a good candidate for a communication device. And if the answer is yes, they are breathing, they are a good candidate. And honestly, I hear people say a lot. Um, they'll come to me and say, I don't think they're a good candidate because, and it's always a lot of different things, like they can't sit in a chair for more than two minutes, or they have ADHD, mm -hmm. or um, they have... Um, um, a visual impairment or they're having trouble hearing or, you know, they have whatever diagnosis um, and none of those reasons um, hold up um, to the research. And it has been well researched um, that um, 
anyone uh, with a communication disability can benefit from AAC. Right now, is AAC covered by insurance? Oh, that's another good, another great question. Um, it and the answer is it depends. Um, for instance, here in South Carolina, our state Medicaid um, will ask you; they're the payer of last resort. Now, Medicaid is different from state to state, mm-hmm. so. The first thing you would want to do is, and the only professional who asks for funding for a communication device is a speech language pathologist. And that is somebody who has a master's in speech language pathology. And that individual would make the funding request typically to your insurance company first. And if the insurance company um, is not able to provide funding or it is rejected or refused by that insurance company, most states let you um, move on from there and send it to your state Medicaid um, office for review and hopefully for approval. What a lot of people don't know or take advantage of is if it is denied from your Medicaid state, um, your state Mm -hmm. Medicaid, excuse me, you will want to ask why it was um, rejected. And you have the right to ask that. And um, then when they say, oh, it was because you said this and this is how we think. And then you definitely want to appeal those um, those submissions and write your letter of appeal and resubmit it because so many times the funding is approved on appeal. So please don't stop at the first rejection. Please keep going. Um, In South Carolina, we have um, military TEFRA, it's called, which is the military health insurance. Um, They will often pay for, uh, fund these communication devices. And in South Carolina, and again, you want to check this out in whatever state you're with, our equipment distribution program for the state will provide free iPads in a free case. It's a OtterBox, so it's very durable, with one free communication app of your choice. And communication apps can go up to $400. So you want to, you know, definitely specify the app that works best with that individual. And um, they will provide that for free for anybody five and older. Mm. And um, there's a lot of state. Um, equipment distribution programs that have something similar, and then some states um, do not have anything like it. So you definitely want to ask these questions and find out what these resources are in your state. Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with the state um, dealing with um, denial. I mean, when I went for my, my SSI, they denied me like three different times. Oh my goodness. And this was back in the day before autism was a thing. They just kept saying, oh, you can do amical labor, small things. And my problem was I have problems working with people because of my autism, I sometimes don't know the right from wrong things to say to people. So finally, 
years later, my mom says, let's try again. Autism is a thing now. Maybe we can do something. Well, this time around, we went with a disability lawyer and she basically said, you're going to get denied twice. And the third, you want to appeal with a court. And we did. And we stood in front of a judge and in a vocational lady. And she kept pointing out all these jobs. And my mom's like, nope, he's you. You're working with people. Nope. You're working with people. Nope. You're working with people. He's not good. And then we waited and we got full, the full amount. So, yeah, it's very important for anyone with any type of situation to know why you got denied and to appeal it because you, because that will tell you what their thinking is as opposed to what you're thinking. Because I've learned in my time that people think differently from insurance companies to the state in what's because what you're thinking is one thing. It's not what they're thinking. Yes. And it's not unusual for the people reviewing requests for funding for a specific type of assistive technology to have no background whatsoever in that type of assistive technology or any assistive technology. Um, it's not always true, but, you know, sometimes people are up against people who just need to be educated. And that happens through well-written reports and funding requests. Um, so that's the other thing I wanted to share is don't assume the people you are writing reports to and funding requests to understand your vocabulary. Yeah. Now, will using a communication device pre prevent the individual from learning natural speech? Yeah, and that's a great question, too. And I hear that a lot. And unfortunately, sometimes speech language pathologists say it. Um, that could not be further from the truth. There is so much research out there that points to using AAC or communication devices actually improves um, and increases the individual's ability to be verbal. Mm. And this makes, if we think about it in at the personal human level, it starts to make sense. Um, I always tell parents, I don't tell the kids, they'll find out soon enough, but these communication devices our work. Um, and so if we can make our mouths and our tongue and teeth and all the airflow and all of that work for us, one, it's the least restrictive mode of communication. And two, so much easier if we can make it happen than pulling out a device and finding your vocabulary and finally being able to touch and be able to express yourself so much easier um, to be verbal. And I've had well, well-meaning, loving parents um, be concerned that their children will become lazy using these devices and nothing could be further from the truth. We're asking these kids to step up and work hard with these devices. Um, but the payoff is huge 
because these devices will, if it's possible, if it's neurologically and physically possible, will make them more verbal bonus Mm -hmm. and be able to um, help them get their wants and needs met. They can express their feelings. They can participate in their lives. Um, There's so many benefits. Um, The reward is huge for learning a communication system. All right. Now, how do you determine what the best device is for somebody? Um, Another great question. Um, I hear a lot of stories working at the state level. And again, um, this isn't a well-known topic, even uh, among speech language pathologists and much less so among family members. Um, So the first thing we wanna do is make sure the box is a good fit. And nowadays, um, so many of these communication devices are in tablet form. It might Mm -hmm. be a Microsoft tablet, an Android tablet, or literally an iPhone um, that's being, um, I'm sorry, an Apple device that's being sold as a commercial device in a package with a speaker on the back and great handles and all of that. Some kids um, might need what is called a key guard, which is basically a plastic grid you put on the screen. So if they are the type of person that touches the screen with their whole hand, um, um, they won't activate it. They can move their hand around and dip a finger in the screen hole and Mm. touch the button they really want to touch. Um, And with these key guards, I've seen people go from 0% accuracy to 100% accuracy. Um, Key guards can really be a game changer for people who have trouble isolating a finger and touching a screen. Um, The other thing is a lot of people will place the device flat on the table. And we see a lot of improvement by leaning the device at an angle. So the person goes like this to activate it instead of like this to activate it. Um, things, small things like that can be a huge game changer. We also um, work with um, students who um, are not able to move their body at all, but move their eyes great. Mm. Or they can move their head. And so we might look at a head mouse, which basically moves, means you wear glasses or maybe a silver dot on your current glasses, move your head around. The moving your head around moves the um, pointer. And when your pointer is on the target, you leave the pointer there for fractions of a second and it will activate um, that place on your screen. Um, The other thing with eye gaze, you move your eyes all around to move the cursor around on the screen. And when you move the cursor onto your target and leave it there, again, it's just fractions of a second, it will activate it. So we want to make sure the access method is appropriate Mm -hmm. for the person's abilities. And then the box it's in and the boxes come as small as a watch um, to as large as a um, I think the biggest now is like a 16 inch screen um, for a commercial device. Once we figure that out, then we want to look at the apps and most of the apps, the communication apps um, that follow the research are more robust and rather expensive, starting at um, maybe um, 
$100 to $350, $400. Um, all of that is um, changing over time. So it just depends. Um, but these apps actually follow the research. And we want to see um, how we can set up the app and what are the features in the app that meets the individual's needs. For instance, some people with autism um, will tap, 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 tap on the screen to and they will actually be stimulating on the sound that it makes um, because mm. it'll repeat that sound or part of the word over and over again um, that makes tapping the screen very inviting. Um, unfortunately, we're not teaching language when we do that. And AAC devices are all about teaching language. And so some of the apps, not all of them, have a feature that make it so you have to touch the screen and hold your finger on on it for a certain amount of a split second. And for many people that interrupts all this tapping. Um, so we wanna make sure those features inside the app match the needs of the individual um, specifically. And that's how we determine the only way to do that is through trials. And that's where you want to find your local assistive technology program in your state, in your particular state, and get involved in their device loan program. So you can check out, does the outside of the device match your individual's needs? And then does the software or the app inside the device meet the individual's needs before any money is spent or requested? Now, how has AAC helped those who are nonverbal autistics? Yes. Um, well, it's the same with all diagnosis, pretty much. And that is finding a way to connect with other people. And when we talk about the definition of language, we're talking about two pieces that are crucial for communication devices and crucial for people with autism and other diagnoses. The first one is we're using a symbol set. My favorite symbol set is the alphabet because I do a lot of work on the computer, typing emails, creating PowerPoints, whatever that is. Um, but there are other symbols that we can use that we can connect with people. Um, some people use emojis uh, for some of their texting or graphic symbols, and even some will use objects. The other piece of language is not only using symbols, but we all have to agree on the meaning of those symbols. And that's where AAC comes into place. So we're using symbols in these devices where everybody's agreed on the meaning of it. And that's why it's so important, even if you're using graphic symbols, to include the word underneath it so that your communication partners know exactly what you're talking about um, when you use that symbol. And the whole thing is about building language, building vocabulary, learning what to say when, um, and building those responses. But it's bigger than that. It's also building a way to ask questions like, when do I have to be at school today? When am I going to see so-and-so doctor? Why? 
do I have to do this school project? Um, you know, things like that and get those answered, uh, those questions answered. Powerful. Now, are there, this is a two-part question, are there free applications and how good are, if there are, how good are they compared to the paid versus the paid applications? Yes, and another great question, and people are still surfacing with these free applications. Um, One, they're typically very limited. Um, Mm -hmm. Two, they don't offer pre-made paid sets. When you buy an app with pre-made paid sets, um, that is one of these more expensive apps, more one of these more robust apps, they are setting up those page sets with one high frequency words and two that have been tested to show that these are words that are used every day throughout the day. So these are your go-to words, your go-to vocabulary lists. They're called core words. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also call them high frequency words. It just depends where you are with all of that. Um, And to them, you want to add the personal vocabulary that belongs to the individual that highlights their interests, their needs, their um, their objects they love or topics they love to talk about and things like that and the vocabulary to go with it so they can express themselves. And I forget the second part of that question. I'm so sorry. How Well, the second part was how good are they versus the more expensive? Yeah, so everything I just talked about, the free apps do not have. Um, so when you start buying the more expensive apps, you get you actually get a lot of bang for your buck. And free is often you get what you pay for, yeah. um, which is basically not enough to set it up to meet the individual's needs for today and have the flexibility within the app to continue meeting their needs 10 years down the road, if that's what you need. 20 years down the road. Some of these apps, the more expensive apps have been around for decades. They just Mm. used to be called software and now (laughs) we call them apps. Um, So there is um, the more expensive apps have tons of research behind what they do. Now, are the paid apps, are they available in the application store or are they more directly through the company that's created them? Um, The companies who have created them now make sure they're on the app store. Um, That was a really good question. Um, Some of them are on for Android devices. Some of them, very few are available for like the Microsoft tablets, Mm. the bulk of them are going to be on your Apple app store. So the majority are for the Apple. Yes. More more people are writing apps for Apple over Android. Yes. Um, Every year, um, I, I, I actually, I didn't hear it the last year or so during COVID, but it seemed like we were hearing from app stores that they were mm-hmm. going to beef up the number of apps they had, not just for communication, but for people with disability in general. 
personally, I've been in this business. We all have been using apps since what maybe, you know, before 2010, um, over and over and over again, when I work with people, I'm able to find the apps we're looking for on the Apple store for people with disabilities. And this, this includes all disabilities, um, where I have not been able to find robust apps on other application stores not to name names, but um, there seems to be a trend and I'm actually hearing other people in the disability community say it too, because if we want to use a communication app and we find it on one app store, we're also going to to be going to that app store for other apps we need to be independent and functional and things like that. Um, So you really don't want to cross platform. So you really need to, to talk about all the kind of supports you need um, in addition to the communication supports, what supports when you're talking about what platform should I be using? All right. Um, Can people teach themselves? Wow. Good question. I have had, that's like asking, can somebody teach themselves to read? And yes, um, some people do really well with it. What I'm seeing more than anything is that um, students are in classrooms and are sponges, um, just soaking up all kinds of information. And when they do get a more robust communication device in front of them, they are um, able to use it um, from mid-level forward instead of starting from scratch. Um, Like, for instance, I worked with a a young lady. She was 11 years old, Mm -hmm. had autism, um, put uh, I was dreaming big. And so I pulled up a communication page that had both the alphabet on it and picture communication symbols. And she was using both. So she wow. was spelling, she was using communication pictures to augment her spelling. And so that's really definitely a mid-level um, um, mid-level skill level um, to be starting at all with. Um, you go if, if you go on the internet, um, there are um, people sharing freely. Um, one of them um, who is sharing uh, their journey on YouTube is Dylan Barmucci. And please forgive me if I said his name wrong. I think it's Dylan with one L. And when he um, started in sixth grade, he started at the alphabet level. He did not need to use uh, communication symbols. And somebody his speech language pathologist figured out he knew how to read and spell. I'm not saying read and write. I'm saying read and spell. And she found a way for him to access the 
the alphabet, the keyboard, and um, he's just really taken off from there. A well-spoken, smart young man. Wow. Bravo for him. And for that 11-year-old to literally teach yourself, teach yourself how to use the alphabet to augment the symbols and everything else. I mean, yes, it's quite an achievement. Yes. And unfortunately, um, there is a lot of um, people who, one, are not assuming competence or don't even aren't even aware that that's a concept for them to engage in. And then um, not realizing that students with autism are taking everything in Mm -hmm. um, their own way. I want to say that. Um, And there's a lot of asking them to take things in a traditional way when all the while they are definitely taking it in their own way. All right. Is it enough just to have a communication device? No, it is not. Um, So that is a great um, question, too, because if we're working with people who are students or children who are starting at the beginning, it's really important that the communication partners, and this can be peers, it can be um, brothers and sisters, it can be um, the teacher, it can be family members, it definitely needs to be the speech-language pathologist who use a technique called aided language stimulation. Aided language stimulation means that we're using their device to talk to them. And by doing that, we're modeling the behavior we want that individual to do. And again, they might do it in their own way, which is fine. But while the communication partners are using the student, um, the student's communication device to talk to the student with autism. We're showing them where the vocabulary is located, when it's used, how it's used, and leave it, you know, for them to figure out how that works with them and move forward. Um, but if we don't show kids the behavior we expect from them it's outrageous to think that we're going to get it from them um we cannot learn these devices by osmosis there has to be training but the training has to happen in a natural environment during everyday activities um that sitting down in a um in those wooden chairs, um, a Riften chair with a desktop, like sealing the kid into place <laughs> and then going, OK, we're going to learn to communicate. That is not how people learn language. It's not how people t- learn um, how to um, interact with people. It's just not the way it goes. Um, there's lots of research that supports that language is learned in natural environments. And so those are the moments that we're going to get connected with these um, students and children with autism who are trying the best they can to um, connect with other people and um, make that connection. And well, thank you very much, Carol, for everything you have 
really enlightened me about everything about speech and kids who are nonverbal and and all you've done for him. I applaud you very much and I wish you many, many successful more days. Thank you so much. It's been my joy and pleasure. And Reed, great to meet you and talk with you this morning. Same here. Um, that was it, everyone. That was Carol Page. And I'll see you on the next one, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. It's the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories Somewhere in the cloud Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Shout Welcome to the new normal Gonna miss all you used to be Gonna miss all you had Consigned to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet. It ain't what it was.